Hey, welcome to our spiritual gifts class to Immersion Discipleship School. This is session nine, and we're talking about the second part of motivational gifts. Now, you'll remember in our last session, we talked about the first three of motivational gifts from Romans chapter 12, and we're really just gonna finish all of the seven gifts today. So there's four that we're gonna be focusing on. Last week, we talked about uh, prophecy, the gift of teaching, and the gift of encouragement. And uh, today, we're gonna be focusing on uh, the gift of service, giving, leadership, and mercy. And so what I want to do is just jump right into the passage in Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 1 through 13 so we can kind of look at some context together. And here's what it says. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If it's prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if it's service in his serving, or if it's teaching in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, or he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, uh, let love be without hypocrisy, hate what is evil and cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor, not lacking behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing, pra excuse me, practicing hospitality. Now you've already heard me talk a bit about the context of the book of Romans, but we want to be reminded that the book of Romans is obviously written by Paul to the church at Rome, and Paul was most likely writing this letter as he is getting ready to go to Jerusalem, and he wants to stop at the church in Rome because he's really never been there before. He didn't start the church in Rome, and scholars sometimes suggest that the church in Rome was, was started by some who were actually at the first gathering, the day of Pentecost, when the church was birthed, at least the Jewish church was birthed, and there were some that were there that gave their lives to Jesus and went back to Rome and the church was born. Now, we don't really know how the church at Rome was started, but we do know that Paul's companions, Priscilla and Aquila, were actually at the church in Rome and they were leaders there. But something interesting happens in the history is in 49 AD, the Roman emperor Claudius actually expels all of the Jews from the city of Rome. And when that happens, all of the leaders, they were primarily Jewish in the city of Rome, actually have to leave. And so they leave the Gentiles in charge of the church. So they had to step up. And for about six years or so, the Gentiles were in charge of the church and the church at Rome had grown primarily Gentiles. And so when Claudius had died, the Jews slowly started to come back but they no longer were the leaders of the church and the church had obviously grown. And so they're trying to figure out a new way in Christ where what was true is no longer true in terms of leadership. And now it's a different kind of group of people. And so how did Jew and Gentile come together? And Paul gives a ton of theology. It's actually where you find most of his theology shared in all of his 13 letters, primarily in the book of Romans, a lot of doctrine, a lot of teaching. And we draw from heavily and we have throughout the Christian history, really the Christian history. 
And so what, what you have in Romans chapter 12 is the focus here is how there can be unity among diversity through our spirituality. And the gifts of God cause different parts of the body to come together. And it's really beautiful, actually, that God has given all of us different gifts, but he gives those gifts so that we can come together and become one because we each have something that the other needs. And this is sort of the beautiful picture that Paul is painting to the Roman church. And can you imagine how important that is when you have Jew and Gentile, but the commonality that we have is in Christ. And he gives us these different gifts and makes us like interdependent on one another, regardless of gender and generation and nation, where you're from, how old you are, and uh, whether you're male or female. It's really, really powerful. We talked about, and I want to mention again, some principles for motivational gifts that we find very important. And the first is this, everyone has a primary motivation gift. Everyone has one. So regardless of what it is, we all have them. If you believe upon Jesus, if you're born again, at your spiritual birth, every person was given at least one primary motivational gift. Now, if you find that you have two leanings, maybe you have uh, the gift of serving and you have the gift of teaching, and you can't really determine which one's your primary, that's okay. We call that a gift mix. Whenever we're not certain about which one's our primary, we just recognize that God has given us somewhat of a gift mix and both of them can kind of be our primary. And so we wanna really learn about both of those and exercise them accordingly. But either way, all of us have at least one gift or several. The second principle that I wanna remind you of is everyone has a different measure of faith for the motivational gift that they have. Verse 3 in Romans chapter 12 talks about how God has allotted to each one a measure of faith. And then verse 6 says, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, which basically says that God has given us different measures of faith. So some people come into Christ and they kind of come in with a different measure of faith, not necessarily a measure of maturity. We all kind of are growing in Christ together. But for some, pe for some reason, some people, as they come in, God gives them something greater to believe him, to trust him, to kind of function at a higher level. And uh, we're all growing in our faith and we can certainly you know, push out the boundaries of our faith in order to grow and exercise what God's given us. But we don't need to be concerned about what level we're on, but we do acknowledge that there are different levels in our gifting. And that also means that we shouldn't compare and contrast you know, the gift that we have to the same gift that somebody else might have because we're all different. And God's gifted us, even though he's given us the same gift, we're all different in the way that we minister that gift. And so it's very important to know that there, there is a different measure of faith for some. And that means that there's a different level, so to speak. That makes sense. Number three, or the third principle about motivational gifts is that everyone must discover and exercise their motivational gift. Paul mentions this and, and the results that will follow us being people who give our gifts away. We will grow in unity with each other and we will grow in love for one another. In other words, that's the results. When we discover and we begin to use our gifts, what ends up happening in the church at least is that we love each other and we serve each other and we all grow together. And that's an amazing, really beautiful picture that Paul paints about motivational gifts. Now we wanna just jump right into the gifts themselves. And we're looking today at the first gift is the gift of service. And the definition of the gift of service is this, it's the ability to perceive the practical and physical needs of others and address them. Isn't that incredible? It's the ability to perceive the practical and physical needs 
of, of others. We really address them. And a person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can help someone with their practical needs. That's a way to discern if this is a primary gift that you have. Are you always thinking about how that you can help somebody um, with their practical needs? You see a need and you want to fill that need. That's who you are. You don't even think about the cost up front. You think about how you can help. And that really is helpful to discern. You think about how to help before you think about the cost or the sacrifice. And then you have to determine whether or not you can make the sacrifice or you can count the cost. This is what somebody uh, is doing. The Greek word uh, for this word is, uh, is often translated ministry, minister, or deacon. And in the ancient world, it was used to describe people who waited on tables and served food, just sort of as a natural element to this. Spiritually speaking, it's quite a bit different because we're not just seeing natural needs, but we're seeing it, uh, spiritual needs as well, but we're seeing it through spiritual eyes. And so this is a gift of the Lord either way, whether it's for natural needs or spiritual needs, it really is needs altogether. But we see this word used in the ancient world considerably in very practical ways, like waiting on tables and serving people practically. We all should serve. All of us need to serve each other, but some of us are gifted in such a way where we're thinking about it prior to anybody else. We're the first ones to step up. We're the first ones to speak up. We're the first ones to want to address the needs that we see. And other people care too. Other Christians care as well, but, and we shouldn't look down on others that aren't as prone to step up first, but rather we should celebrate those that are sometimes the head of the spear in leading all of us to address the needs that are around us. And we thank God for that. We all care about the needs of others, but a, a person with this gift is driven. They're just driven by this and the needs of people. Some scripture references, which I've kind of already mentioned or touched on, is in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, the apostles chose seven men, these were deacons, who could oversee food distribution. And isn't it incredible that they empowered people to serve? This is in this very similar word as what the gift is in service. They empowered people to serve, and some of these became evangelists or greater even in the church in terms of their anointing, their gifting, and their ministry. It started with service, but it didn't stop there. And we see that in the deacons in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 6. We also see in John chapter 13, verse 5 through 20, where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and he told them to do the same. This was obviously part of the ministry of the apostles. It was part of the focus was to serve people. That really is the way of the Christian. And some of us have been gifted in such a way where we show others. We're always demonstrating how it is that Jesus would function and how he would think or feel or even address needs in the circumstances of the situations around us. We also see in Luke chapter 10 verse 38 through 42 the story of Martha and Mary and Martha was distracted by all the preparations. And we kind of give Martha uh, a, bad, a bad name, or we give her kind of a bad run. And I think it's not fair because even though she was distracted by the preparations, it wasn't wrong of her to want to take care of everything. I mean, she's making, probably making preparations and food for everybody that's going to be eating. I mean, we all want to eat, amen? So there is that. And Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. And what Jesus was actually saying is Mary chose the greater thing because Jesus was right there and, and sitting at his feet and listening to him, learning from him. He wanted Martha to be able to do that as well and not just be distracted. But he wasn't trying to take away from the fact that what she was doing was a good thing. And of course, we want to make sure that we understand that, that serving is a good thing. But it also tells us that potentially the distraction for those that have the gift of service is that they're always thinking about doing before they're ever thinking about learning or growing or praying or listening to the Lord. And that might be 
the, the weakness of the gift. And so you're going to want to obviously press in to balance that out. Now, some of the functions of the gift of serving is, uh, number one, is, it's help and assistance. A person who is gifted with service assists people in times of great need. It's not about being in charge or being somebody. It's about getting something done. They're always thinking about getting something done. That's kind of their MO. That's how they function. The second function that I find in the gift of service is awareness. A person with this gift is good at, at identifying needs and things that are often overlooked by other people. If this is you, you, you're always identifying needs and maybe sometimes you feel a little lonely because everybody else isn't seeing what you're seeing about other people. You're kind of like, come on guys, like we need to do this. And if that's you, you need to stop getting frustrated at everybody else because you might just have a gift. You might see first what other people aren't seeing. It's not that they don't care. It's that you are just wired that way. And the Lord has put that inside of you. And so you can't get upset at other people uh, because you have something that God's given you to feel and think that way and really to gather other people to respond to as well. So you have an awareness about you. If you have this gift, you also seek to accomplish a person with this gift gets things done and they help other people to do the same. We really need to cultivate the gift of service because I think a lot of people want the limelight or a lot, a lot of people want prominence, but they're not really thinking about significance. The gift of service carries with it great significance, not necessarily always prominence because a person with this gift is willing to do the thing that isn't always seen or doesn't come with a lot of accolades. And really, I think that's so powerful and it speaks of the humility of Jesus and how much we need this gift in the church. It says a lot about the Christ that we follow and how Jesus even displayed himself as he walked the earth. He could have come as a conquering king, but he didn't. He came in a manger and he walked as a, as a common man and his, uh, his father, Joseph, uh, was a carpenter. He built houses out of stones. He was a stone layer and and his mom really was nobody. And so he kind of came this way. He was humble. He was meek. He was lowly. He was of no rapport. He was no, of no reputation. And there's just a humility to him. And he served people. He says, the son of man did not uh, come to be served, but to serve. And so this is what we want to cultivate as a people. We need this gift in the church more and more. The second gift we want to look at is the gift of giving. Sometimes it's called the gift of generosity. The definition of this gift is the ability to receive and release spiritual and financial resources in order to help people and extend God's kingdom. And there's kind of a dual purpose the way that I see this. It's to help people, but it's also to extend God's kingdom. People with this gift, they're always thinking about how they can give something to a person or a people in need. They're always thinking about how to not just help someone, but how to give in order to get a person where they need to go or get something done. This is constant in them. They, they really just think about how to funnel resources and uh, accomplish things. The word in the original language means to give over, to share, or to transfer something. You kind of see that that's really the case with the giver is they want to transfer wealth or they want to transfer resources from where it is to where it needs to go according to what needs to be accomplished. Paul says that those who have this gift should exercise it with liberality, which actually means simplicity. Uh, it doesn't just mean with great freedom, but with simplicity or focus, single gaze. A person who has this gift shares common characteristics of a server, but they manifest it differently. 
In other words, they may not be the first person to step up and like put their own hands to it, but they're thinking about how they can get what this person needs and from wherever it is. So they, they see the resources over here. They see that this person has that need. And so they're thinking instead of just jumping in the mix themselves, they think about how to get what that person needs from wherever they know that it is and to transfer it to them. Having this gift does not mean that you're wealthy because this gift isn't just about money. As we see, you can look at Romans chapter 1, verse 11. It can be even spiritual impartation as well. Tons and tons of references when it comes to generosity or the gift of giving. Acts chapter 20, verse 35, Paul references Jesus saying that it's better to give than to receive. And this is sort of the mantra of the person that has the gift of generosity. It really is a Christian thing. But this is the mantra of the person that has the gift. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28, we work so that what we have, uh, we, we, we are able to share with others. We want to work to take care of our needs. But Paul gives this idea of having abundance. And abundance or overflow speaks of being able to provide for what we have, but also for the sake of others. That really is the whole purpose of overflow. It's not to build up more in ourselves. It's not to have a better, more cushiony life. It's to take care of other people. Luke chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, give and it will be given to you with the same measure that you use. And people with the gift of giving, really, they don't understand this initially, but they really come to understand that as they give, they find that God resources them. And so it's almost like a river. And if you were to stop giving, you would build a dam. And so the river just kind of piles up. But really, um, you don't receive more if you're not giving out what you have. And the person with the gift of generosity or the gift of giving, they understand this in detail because the more they give away, it just, they just sense how God continues to supply it's like seed to the sower. If the sower is, is sowing the seed, it's like they reach back into their seed bag and they find that it's just filled up again and again and again and again. But a person that's not sowing that seed, it just, they just sit there with a full bag, but they're not getting more. And they don't find that you know, they can spread the seed and still have the same amount. That's what the giver or the gift of giving, really, uh, we really see in, in that. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, the generous man will prosper and he who waters will also himself be watered. And this is that principle. Somebody who waters another person's lawn or garden finds that theirs is taken care of. And that's really God's commitment towards us. And again, the, the giver and the, the generosity gift, they find that to be the case. They find God takes care of them as they focus on taking care of, of others uh, in terms of provision and generosity. First Timothy six seventeen. instruct those who are rich to be generous with what they have. Are you rich? I mean, this is a real question. Are you rich? Are you wealthy? A lot of people, I mean, if you have a car, 80%, 75% of the world doesn't even own a car. So that would put you in that category. But there are some among us who are actually exceptionally wealthy. Are you wealthy? If so, you're instructed to be generous with what you have. And that's important. This is the Lord speaking to us. And so for those of us that have more or abundance or overflow, we need to be thinking about that in our lives. But there are some of us that we can't stop thinking about it. And we want to make sure that we cultivate that and release that. Obviously, God's the greatest giver. And we say this all the time, God, you can't outgive God. John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave. Love is revealed in our giving. God so loved that he gave, so love is revealed in the giving, and God is the greatest giver. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10 through 15, 
the Bible says what I've already said to you, God provides seed to the sower. This is actually two chapters on generosity. So if you have the gift of giving or generosity, or you want to grow in this and understand this better, just read 2 Corinthians chapter 9 or 8, 9, and 10. You'll really find some powerful truth in that that will encourage you and really help equip you. The function of the gift of generosity or the giving gift, number one is to cast vision. A person with this gift has the faith to see big things happen because they know uh, they can get what is needed to accomplish it. If you have this gift, you're always thinking like, oh, that's not a big deal. Other people are, 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 that don't have the faith for it or they don't think it can happen. They're just thinking naturally. A person with generosity on them or that gift of giving is thinking, you know, with great faith or casting vision for big things because they know we can get the resources for that. Other people around are like, how? What are you talking about? We don't have any of that. But they know that they can have a, there can be a transfer of finances or resources. This is casting vision. Number two is release. This person will release people and projects by funding them. There are a lot of people that are carrying visions in their heart. They're carrying what the Lord has put inside of them. And the person with the gift of generosity or giving comes along and they basically can release that vision because they're transferring wealth and resources, finances, or whatever is needed in order to get that thing done. So they really are a releaser in the most practical sense. There are many projects waiting to be done. Building faith. This person will build faith. This person has faith and stirs people to believe for more, to get things funded, to get things accomplished, to get things going toward an eventual goal. So they stir up faith. They build faith in other people in such a big way too, because a lot of times it's the practical things that can discourage us the most. The Lord puts a vision in our heart, but we all know we, we work day in, day out. A lot of people work nine to five and they only make X amount of dollars. So they think, well, how are we gonna accomplish this? We need $100,000, we need $10,000, we need a million dollars. How's this even gonna happen? And there are people that have this gift of generosity. They may not even have the money, but they know that the resources are available because that's just where they live. They live in this reality of this being possible. So this is something that they do in terms of their function. And we really obviously need this gift to function and flow more and more in the body of Christ as well. The third gift that we want to look at today is the gift of leadership. And this is such a unique gift, and I think it's even a misunderstood gift. The definition is the ability to gather, guide, and govern people and projects in order to build up the body of Christ and extend God's kingdom. I want to say that again because it's a lot there. The ability to gather, guide, and govern people and projects in order to build up the body of Christ and extend God's kingdom. A person who has this gift is always thinking about how they can gather people together in order to accomplish something greater. The word for lead is also translated rule or manage, and it literally means to stand before. In the Greek culture, this word was used for a sailor of rank who would stand at the bow of a boat and direct the crew as they would sail to their destination. Sometimes in the Greek world, in, in sort of the natural sense, uh, it was used for a helmsman. And sometimes people think of a leader as a visionary, and that's not necessarily true. This gift is more of the administrative leadership. In other words, it was a helmsman. A helmsman was somebody who would sit at the bow of the boat. They would, they would handle, the, they would handle uh, the navigation, but they didn't necessarily, um, they weren't the ones with the coordinates. The captain told the helmsman where they were going to go. Here's the coordinates, and the helmsman would take them into port. And it's really interesting to see that because it could potentially mean that this is a second tier leadership gift and that as you look at it in a motivational gift sense, 
Um, this can mean a lot of different things, but this person has the will to get people from where they are to where they need to be. This person has the ability to gather people together to get a lot done in the kingdom. This person has that drive and that desire, that tenacity, um, really not just for themselves, but for the whole. And that's what we see. So it can mean not only like a primary leadership, but a lot of second tier leaders in the body of Christ have this gift as well. The original word is used in the New Testament eight times for fathers, elders, bishops, and deacons. So we see that as primary leaders and secondary leaders. Paul told the, uh, those with this gift to lead with diligence, which means um, in haste. In other words, go for it right now. Don't wait. Go to it. Get at it uh, right here and right now. A leader has a high level of self-confidence, which is misunderstood sometimes as arrogance. And that can be the weakness of a person with this gift. Is that they can be perceived as arrogant when really they just have self-confidence because they have to believe that we can do this. They're always thinking that we can do this. This is what we need to do. These are the pieces that we need to put into place. They're always thinking about how to gather people together and accomplish something greater. I can imagine the weakness could potentially be that people could feel used by this person because their vision is bigger and they could just be thinking about how to get people to where we all need to go. And it's not necessarily personal, but I could see how that could potentially be a weakness um, or at least somehow they're perceived. The scripture references, you see all kinds of things in the Bible from Exodus 18, 13, where Moses appoints leaders over groups of 10, 50, and 100. 1 Timothy 3, 4, um, he talks about uh, those who, who are going to be overseers in the church must manage their household well. That word manage is the same word for the gift of leadership here. In Mark chapter 10, verse 41 through 45, Jesus taught his disciples what leadership in the kingdom really is. It's to come under and to serve. And so we got to make sure that we're tempering this gift. If it's that drive in you, that you're doing it to serve the body of Christ. And you're doing it to serve people as Jesus taught us to. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, Paul, Paul says, follow my example as I follow Christ. And a leader needs to think that way. You can't, you can't just follow yourself, your desires, your whims. You have to follow Christ. This is where Christ is leading us. And that, that brings confidence because I'm following Jesus and, and, and that example, that direction is worthy to be followed. Follow me as I follow Christ. Lots of other references that I could bring up, but the function of the gift of leadership would be this. Number one would be motivate. This person will motivate people to work together and accomplish something bigger. They're always thinking about how to put people into the game. You know, plug and play. I see you have this. I could see you doing that. They're thinking that way. They're not trying to use anybody, but they really do see the bigger picture and they discern very well. And so they're thinking about how to motivate people to do something that's part of the whole plan of God. And the second thing that they do in terms of function is they coordinate well. This person has the ability to bridge things together by, by allowing people or bringing people into that place to do so. They're connectors. They connect people to places, people to things, people to vision, people to other people. They're coordinators. They also are communicators. This person uh, knows what to do, how to do it, do it, and they communicate it. They know what to do, how to do it, and they communicate it clearly, principally, simply. Uh, they're very clear, it seems like, most of the time, especially when they cultivate this gift more and more. And so you have motivation, coordination, communication. That's what comes out of this leadership type gift. And I want to say this about the leadership gift is that sometimes people think because they're not a primary that they don't have this gift. That's not true. A lot of times people are the helmsmen. 
They listen to the coordinates, the vision. Somebody tells them the vision and they accomplish the vision. They're not always the visionaries themselves. They can be, but they also are people that can take the vision to completion. So that might be you and you need to think about that. You might say to yourself, well, I'm not a leader or that's not my primary gift. But if you knew that leadership gift was not just the primary visionary, but it was also the person that could see the vision from someone else and make it happen, that also could make you a leader as well and mean that God has given this gift to you. And so something to discern through, pray about, and think about. And the fourth and final gift that we're looking at today in our session is the gift of mercy. The definition of this gift is the ability to feel sympathy and show compassion on those who are suffering physically, emotionally, or mentally. This is somebody who is constantly thinking about how they can heal the suffering how they can heal the suffering. You're always thinking about people's suffering. You, you really carry the burdens of others. The term show mercy can also be translated to have compassion on, to pity, or to show grace and favor to. Different forms of this word appear 60 times in the New Testament, like showing compassion or even really healing. I mean, when Jesus healed the sick or the apostles healed the sick, um, this word actually, uh, it speaks of that. It's to bring healing. And so we really know that it's not just physical healing, but it's also emotional or really anywhere that there is suffering, the person that has the gift to show mercy. And remember, it's not just the gift of mercy, but it's the gift to show mercy. They feel sympathy, but to the point of showing mercy. This person taps into the heart of God um, for people and their problems. And Paul mentions that this person shows mercy with cheerfulness, which is joy and not sorrow. In other words, it's not a burden to carry a burden. And that's important. It's not a burden to carry the burdens of others. It's just who you are. You have joy in it. You carry the sorrows of others and it doesn't make you lesser for doing so. It doesn't burden you or tear you down or bring you down. Not everybody can be like that. Not everybody can do that. Now, all of us are called to carry the burdens of others. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 2, in so doing we fulfill the law of Christ. We're all called to do it, but there are some of us that are so wired and gifted to do that so well that others learn to do that by watching their way. It cer certainly is a revelation of Jesus Christ to show mercy. Scripture references are Matthew 5, 7, and these are just kind of something around this issue. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. A person who shows mercy really just functions in that heavenly supply. Matthew 9, 27, the blind men on the road cried out for Jesus to have mercy on them. Same terminology, to show mercy, and Jesus obviously did that. Luke 10, 30 through 37, the good Samaritan who showed a Jewish man mercy while others did not. Here again, you have this picture of a person not just having pity on, but really showing mercy and compassion too. That's a very good example. Acts 9, 36 through 39, a woman named Tabitha who was noted as showing kindness. She was clothing other people. She was providing practically, but she was doing it to those that were suffering. And so we see that as a great example. Same terminology is used there. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 16, a man named Onesiphorus, I'm not sure if I said that right, he was not ashamed of Paul's chains and he refreshed him several times. And that terminology is the same. He showed him mercy. He cared about Paul's suffering and he showed him mercy in the midst of his suffering. And Paul mentions that about him. It marked him to the point where this man's mentioned in scripture. It's a very powerful gift. And we see that even in the ministry of Paul as Paul needed something from a person that was carrying that heart of Jesus in that way, that gift, it refreshed him when he needed it the most. The function of the gift of mercy to show mercy is first to heal. 
This word in ministry is first about bringing healing to the suffering. You know who you are. You know if you have this because you're constantly thinking about it. Now, you may not be at a place where you're showing it yet, but you just want to let the Lord release that in you as you're constantly feeling it anyways. And the second function is to refresh. This gift brings refreshing to those who are suffering, even when healing doesn't occur. So if you want to bring healing to the suffering and that doesn't occur, you still want to bring comfort, comfort and refreshing. And uh, you do whatever you can to, to help the afflicted and the wounded. Also, we see this gift brings about uh, strengthening. The Bible talks about strengthening the weak, which is totally true of this gift. People who carry this about, they show mercy. They watch people get strengthened, refreshed and strengthened as a result of them functioning out of their gift toward people in their life. It's very, very important. We want to strengthen those who are weak. And we can do that by the gifts of God. And that's what we're really talking about as I close the session on uh, on the motivational gifts, the second part, these are all seven gifts that we've worked through already. We worked through the four of them now. We, what we really want is we want God to help us know what we have and we want to use it for His glory. Because when we do, the body of Christ can, can rise up and be strengthened and move forward to advance the kingdom of God. And that's what we're about together as His people. I want to pray for you today and really I want you to discern what the Lord has given to you. Dig deep. Pray, ask the Lord, and also continue to review all these different gifts in the scriptures that we've gone over. Father, I just thank you today for your word, and I thank you for the gifts that you have given to us. I thank you for the motivational gifts. I pray that everybody watching this, just out of the simple two sessions that we've had, I pray that they would be able to discern that much more clearly what you have given to them. And Lord, I just pray right now for a Holy Spirit impartation that they would be able to exercise those gifts. Give us great faith to take the next steps in what you've given to us, that we would not be um, satisfied in knowing, but we would only be satisfied in doing, that other people would receive from you through what you've given to us. Father, we thank you for this focus on spiritual gifts. Make us fruitful for your kingdom's work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, God bless you guys. I look forward to wrapping up our spiritual gifts class in our next session. Yeah,